0: John 10, beginning at verse 11. This is God's holy and infallible word. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand is not the shepherd who owns the sheep. So when he sees the wolf coming, he abandons the sheep and runs away. Then the wolf attacks the flock and scatters it. The man runs away and because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my sheep, and my sheep know me. Just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father, And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. The reason my Father loves me is that I lay down my life, not only to take it up again, No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and authority to take it up again. This command I received from my father. At these words, the Jews were again divided. Many of them said, he is demon-possessed and raving mad. Why listen to him? But others said, these are not the sayings of a man possessed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? And that, of course, goes back to... Chapter 9, when we read about the healing of the blind man. That's God's holy word for us tonight. In the Gospel of, of John, we have seven I am statements of Jesus, and each one reveals something unique about our Savior. And last week, remember, we saw the third of those I am statements I am the door. And we saw how it showed us that Jesus is the way out, Jesus is the way in, and he provides all access benefits. Today is the fourth of those I am statements, and it's probably for sure the most well-known and the most cherished. I am the good shepherd. And Jesus says it twice in our reading. What does it tell us about Jesus? Tells us that he's our shepherd. It tells us that he's our good shepherd, especially. The hired hand is mentioned in verse 12. John has been using a lot of descriptive language, a lot of physical realities to talk about spiritual realities. So, what is the hired hand? Who is that? in his description of spiritual things well very likely it could refer to the pharisees in jesus day the reformers uh, in the 1500s said the hired hands were unfaithful bishops in the church of the day some might say the hired hand is ultimately the devil i think I agree with people who think the point is not so much exactly who the hired hand is as much as who the good shepherd is. The fact is the hired hand could refer probably to anybody or anything but Jesus in the lives of us, the sheep. And the point is that there is only one truly good shepherd of the sheep. There's only one who's uniquely and perfectly good. You might have a good father or a good mother. You might have a good pastor. You might just have two good pastors. But Jesus is good in a way that no one else could ever be. He is good. He does good. He is true. He is genuine. He is lovely. The word good is kalos in the original language. And kalos conveys all of those things. The first time that word for good is used in the Gospel of John is where Jesus turned the water to wine at the wedding. And there it says, Kalos wine. Why did you save the choice wine for last? So that's the sense of good here. Jesus is the most excellent, preeminent, choice shepherd. And, and I, what I want to do tonight is show you why that's the case, why he's the good shepherd, and even more importantly, why. This good shepherd is good for you in your life. And first of all, it's because of the depth of his goodness. The good shepherd is good for you and for me because of the profound depth of his goodness. We see how deep Jesus' goodness goes when he says in verse 14, I know my sheep and my sheep know me. And then he connects that with him and the Father just as the Father knows me, and I know the Father. Biblical knowing is deep. Biblical knowing is deeper than our usual use of the word know, which tends to be something just intellectual. But when the Bible says Adam knew his wife Eve, That knowledge refers to intimacy, to deep love, to unity in body and spirit. God knowing his people in the Old Testament involves his choosing his people for his very own. It's about God's faithful covenant love, how he brings people into fellowship with him. Knowing God includes the delights of a personal relationship with the creator of the universe. His knowing us means that he cares for his people. And it leads to him calling his children into service, a call that we faithfully respond to. Biblical knowing is deep. It involves our head, but it also involves the heart. It involves our hands. And in Jesus, who he says he is one with the Father, in Jesus there is that depth of relationship. Our God cares for us. He loves us. He knows his sheep through and through. He knows that we're totally helpless on our own. Because that's how sheep are. I don't want you to laugh at this picture, but did you know that a sheep can get stuck on its back like a turtle and be unable to move? That sheep might look like it's having fun, but it's stuck. And if the weather is warm and a sheep gets stuck in that position, that sheep will die in just a few hours. And that type of sheep, it's called a cast sheep. And it needs rescuing from the shepherd. The shepherd will will go to work and turn that sheep over, which is, is tougher than it seems. They're, they're kind of top-heavy with those spindly legs. And sometimes the shepherd even has to massage the legs of the sheep, which usually have become numb after laying there for a little bit. Sheep are pretty helpless when animals come to attack them too. In biblical times, it was lions or bears, though you don't find those in Israel today anymore. And Supposedly, a sheep would get so terrified that more often than not, she'll just stand there. A lion could be coming up. A sheep will just stand there. Not even utter a bleat until she's attacked, devoured, killed. These helpless characteristics of the sheep are helpful for us because if we're honest, they describe us. In the face of outside threats in our lives, we get pretty pitiful. A cancer diagnosis, and we're totally frozen. An unexpected blow in life, and we're just thrown for a loop. Sometimes we want to curl up in a ball and not face life because of its challenges. Well, the good shepherd knows this. He knows your need. He knows our frailty. He knows we're dust. He knows our frame. And he comes in with his supernatural help, his profoundly and perfectly good help. And what he does is he gathers us up in his arms. He sets us on our feet again. He gives us a pat on the rump, and we press on in life. We're told that shepherds in the Mideast intimately know Each of their sheep and sometimes the sheep don't even have to be counted as they enter the fold for them because the shepherd can feel the absence of any one of them. There's a modern day shepherd from Lebanon who was asked whether he counts his sheep and he said no he didn't need to and he said in fact that he knew his sheep so well that if you were to blindfold them and bring him any and this is unbelievable to me. He says that if he would be blindfolded, you could bring him any sheep and all he would have to do is put his hands, he's blindfolded, on the face of that sheep and he could tell in a moment whether it was his sheep or not. Incredible knowledge of the sheep. And then to think, our shepherd, Jesus, is the good shepherd in a way far and beyond even the best of human shepherds. The depth and intimacy of the knowledge that he has of the sheep. Remember, each one was created by him. It's beyond our understanding. And then to think about all that, and then to think that you are one of those sheep. You are, and I am. You are one of those intimately created and known sheep when you belong to the Lord. As a lamb of God, you have an assurance and a comfort and a security that nothing in this world could ever, ever bring you. We secondly see the extent of the goodness of the Good Shepherd The good shepherd is good for you because of the sacrificial extent of his goodness. We see that in verses 11 and 15, 17 and 18 in that he lays down his life for the sheep. And as we think about that, as Jesus tells us that, there's something else to know about sheep that applies to us. And that's that sheep are wayward. They apparently don't stick together as well as a lot of other animals. You'll kind of find them in different spots in the pasture, just focusing on eating. And if there's a gap or a hole in the fence, they could slip right through and get lost in a hurry because they just don't tend to stay put. They have a tendency to get lost. The Bible says we like sheep have gone astray like sheep because it's in their nature to stray Well, what's the bible telling us here well the bible's telling us about sin our natural tendency to stray from god and his ways and that reveals not just sort of this helplessness in us but what it reveals is an ultimate there's an ultimate helplessness in us we are helpless to find our god we're helpless to stick with him we're helpless to stay in good fellowship with him where it's safe and where it's best for the sheep to be jesus who knows us through and through knows this too and that's why he laid down his life for the sheep And in that, we see not just the depth of Jesus' goodness, but also the extent of it, that he would go that far. In a certain sense, we could say that shepherds suffer for their sheep, because shepherding is hard, demanding work. We tend to think of shepherds removed from real shepherding, and we just think of sort of cuddly sheep and Nice lambs, but shepherding was hard work, outdoor work, in the elements. These were rough and tough guys. And they suffered, in a sense, for the sheep as, as they did this very demanding work. But there's no shepherd in his right mind that would actually sacrifice his life for his sheep. Only the good shepherd did that. The good shepherd is totally unique because the Bible says he is also the Lamb of God who would die for the sheep. With his sheep under threat, his sheep in danger from the devil, the world, the sin in our own hearts and lives, the good shepherd became the Lamb of God, sacrificing himself so that we could have life. Jesus didn't have to suffer and die for sin because he had no sin. But he died for our sin. He died in our place, showing us just how far his love and care go. Jesus highlights in verse 18 that he will lay down his life of his own accord voluntarily. And that's important that he did it voluntarily because sometimes we might think of Jesus' death on the cross as some great tragedy. But that's not really a great description. It's not really that. You know, it it was a tragedy that this actor, remember Philip Seymour Hoffman, died of this heroin overdose last Sunday at age 49. That's a tragedy. But it was not a tragedy in that sense that Jesus died at age 33. That's because Jesus' death was no accident. Jesus' death was planned before the foundation of the world. It was discussed in the eternal council of God where there the second person of the Trinity agreed to go and accomplish salvation for those lost in sin. Jesus was born for this purpose. He decided to be born to do this. Everything Jesus was about was moving toward his atoning sacrifice and resurrection three days later for all his own, for all his flock. He voluntarily laid down his life to accomplish salvation for the sheep. This good shepherd is finally good for you tonight because of the generous scope of his goodness. Verse 16 says, I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They must listen to my voice, and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. There are some different ideas about this passage. You run into trouble... When you think of this sheep pen in the first part of John 10 as the church, remember earlier in the beginning of 10 we talked about I am the door? You run into trouble if you think that the sheep pen refers to the church or all God's people. Because then here, later on in verse 6 it's like, what is this talking about? If there's sheep outside the sheep pen, which is the church, What is Jesus talking about? Is he talking about sheep from some other religion? Is he talking about people outside the church that God will somehow save? But we learned earlier in chapter 10 that the sheep pen here in this chapter, in the verses we've read up until now at least, refers to Judaism in Jesus' day. That's the sheep pen in this chapter. And Jesus came into this world to gather his own from among the Jews, first of all. Like that blind beggar he healed in chapter 9. He had his people among the Jews of the day. But then we know that the scope of his gathering of the sheep would expand. It would increase so that the Gentiles would be included. Gentiles are people not of Jewish descent. While God focused his mission on the people of Israel all throughout the Old Testament, we know that there were hints and promises that one day the care of the good shepherd would embrace people from every nation and tongue. Rahab and Ruth were examples of people already back then who came to faith who were outside of Israel. The other sheep here is Jesus looking ahead to that. After his death and resurrection and ascension, the spirit would come at Pentecost. The good news of the good shepherd would go out from Jerusalem to all corners of the earth. One flock is talking about a people that will be as wide as the whole world. So this is about the expansion of the church. It will no longer be limited to one nation, one people, language, color, or race. The church includes anyone, who responds in faith to the call of the Good Shepherd. The Jews in Jesus' day tended to want to keep salvation narrow. They wanted to keep it limited in scope to people like them. And it's in our nature sometimes to keep what we have in Jesus to ourselves. When we've got a good thing as human beings, sometimes... We can selfishly want to hoard it for ourselves. But the good shepherd says, the scope of my care and love is beyond what you can imagine. It's for the sinner. It's for the outcast. It's for the guilty. It's for the unlovely. It's for the depraved. It's for the adulterer. It's for the liar. It's for the thief. That's grace. And that's ultimately what the goodness of Jesus is about. We just read it in verse 9 of the same chapter. I am the door. Whoever comes through me will be saved. Whoever. John 7 27. If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Anyone. John 3 16, for God so loved the world in verse 18. Whoever believes in him is not condemned. So the scope of the good shepherd's goodness is generous. He's got sheep that we never in a million years we would think would deserve to be part of the flock. But then we stop and we think a minute. Thank goodness for that generous scope. Because otherwise... None of you and me either would be part of the flock, would we? On our own, we're dirty, rotten sinners too. We're lost, wandering, helpless sheep. We're dead in our sin. And yet, by the goodness of our God, we're saved. He included you. He included me. We're part of the flock. Praise the Lord. The reaction to all of this as usual, and as always happens with the message of Jesus, was divided. Some thought he was demon-possessed and raving mad. Others didn't think so. What's our calling as we hear the Good Shepherd speak? Well, it's to put ourselves in the care of the Good Shepherd. To turn to Him as the only source of everything good. May we experience the depth of a relationship where He knows us and we know Him. May we, through a response of faith, accept His atoning sacrifice for our very own. And may we also see the scope of His mission a worldwide message for all who will receive. May we see the scope and may we be an active part of it right here, right now, especially through the continued building up of a people of faith right here at Faith Church to spread the good news of the Good Shepherd. Each one of us has a part in that mission We've got a calling to be excited and passionate about it and to be active in it in any way we possibly can. In him is our comfort and our calling and purpose until one day in glory the one flock meets the one shepherd. Here's how the disciple John describes that in Revelation 7, 9, and 10. After this, I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Amen.